Welcome to S2 Underground, a freelance intelligence agency fighting terrorism, fake news, and political tyranny around the world. I'm the trouble starter, punkin' instigator. Alright everyone, welcome back to the Underground. So today is an exciting day. Uh, today we're going to reveal why we haven't had any episodes lately. Uh, this has been due to the extensive research uh, and effort required to put together this little mini-series. So today we're going to take a look at how to avoid unconstitutional and unlawful law enforcement surveillance when exercising your rights, such as protesting. Now it must be noted that this series will not cover how to avoid targeted surveillance, uh, advanced counter-surveillance tactics, or the like. Uh, we may have an additional series or episode that discusses that large topic in the future, but today we're just going to talk about how to avoid mass surveillance using legal means. This is a large topic, and our bandwidth limits mean that we have to split this into multiple episodes. So in this first episode, we will discuss the platforms themselves. So bottom line up front, uh, in case you don't want to listen to this whole series, here's the foolproof method to avoid most surveillance. Turn off all your electronics. It's as simple as that. So if you learn anything from the tactics and techniques we're about to discuss, just know that if you turn everything off, for the most part, you'll be the hardest target. But that's not why you're listening to this. Uh, most people know that all electronics can be tracked in some fashion, or at least they can guess as much. However, most of us simply can't go dark 100% of the time, and certainly can't go dark since communication with others is the most important weapon we have. That's why we'll first begin by giving a familiarity of the various surveillance tactics and tools that law enforcement entities use without warrants to target ordinary citizens who have committed no crimes. Let it be understood that this is by no means a tutorial on how to evade targeted surveillance like I mentioned earlier. This series is dedicated to showing ordinary citizens how to avoid having their rights completely stripped away in everyday life which is quite a daunting task. In other words, we have to use the same methods that criminals used years ago simply just to live. For instance, 15 years ago, if you told someone to use a VPN, they would look at you like you're some pirate surfing LimeWire or Napster. Uh, nowadays, using a VPN doesn't get a second glance and is quite the norm in many areas just for basic security's sake. So suffice it to say that the same logic applies to what we're about to discuss. This knowledge and these techniques, while necessary for a private life, are 100% classified by law enforcement to be suspicious at least, and at most even criminal. So be advised, law enforcement doesn't like people evading or even talking about reducing the strong grip of surveillance and control that they have over our everyday lives despite the fact that nothing, I say again, nothing we discuss here today is even remotely illegal. Now, before I go on, I must note that this may sound overly hostile towards law enforcement, 
with the implication that law enforcement lies to the population that they are sworn to protect. I assure you that this is not the intention. Uh, opinions aside, we try to remain as objective as possible, while at the same time not ignoring reality. So these sentiments are not just blanket, you know, irrational hostility towards police, but actually an accurate description of the nature of law enforcement itself. The inconvenient truth is that law enforcement, especially local law enforcement, has, over the years, vastly increased their intelligence collection capabilities to collect information on perfectly law-abiding citizens, often with no reduction in crime or any other benefit to citizens. In fact, uh, if citizens were to understand exactly how much of their information is intercepted by law enforcement on a daily basis, they would be shocked. We all remember the outcry of the NSA's prison program and other domestic spying activities when they became public, but many people would be shocked to learn that their local law enforcement is conducting operations that are far scarier every single day. The days of Adam-12, Columbo, and Andy Taylor are long gone, though it could be argued that they only ever existed on screen in the first place. Uh, even in the most rural jurisdictions, police today are equipped with top-of-the-line surveillance gear, armored vehicles, and other weaponry that rivals the vast majority of the U.S. military. And some jurisdictions have ordinary beat cops outfitted with gear that is literally the same gear that is issued to our most elite special forces. When we say the term Big Brother, people think of the NSA or the CIA, the national-level intelligence and spying agencies. However, in the vast majority of cases, they should really be thinking of their local police department. Without further ado, let's begin with the surveillance platforms. I think it's best to divide this topic up into platforms and sensors. Uh, when we say platform, we are referring to things that can hold a sensor. Platforms themselves don't really do anything but hold the sensor, but have unique considerations as well. Ideal platforms are obviously aircraft, but can also include buildings, cell towers, cars, or even people. Since law enforcement entities have been known to conceal and lie to the public about their intelligence and surveillance capabilities, we can't possibly know of all of the secret tools that law enforcement use on a daily basis. But let's get to it with the most common platform, rotary wing aircraft. Police helicopters have been around for decades and are a good host for a variety of surveillance equipment. Rotary wing aircraft are able to orbit a target, uh, that is, fly around it in a circle, much more tightly than a fixed wing aircraft, meaning that electronic surveillance tools can determine a target's location more precisely. Rotary wing aircraft can also follow personnel and vehicles on the ground with much more ease than any other system. In other words, if a police helicopter is following you, you cannot get away simple as that. 
Uh, while the exact airframes and types of rotary wing aircraft vary widely from small ultralight models to large cargo aircraft, these characteristics are very similar to pretty much all police helicopters. As such, uh, we treat police rotary wing aircraft as one type of platform, regardless of airframe type. Now, police helicopters are not without their problems and special considerations. For one, helicopters can be heard before they come on station. So if you hear a helicopter, for the most part, you have a very limited window of time to take cover or turn off devices. Now, it must be noted that this can be overcome. Uh, in fact, uh, several entities in the U.S. government and associated with the U.S. government have been using computer software, uh, most notably in Afghanistan, but also other conflict areas, uh, for years now that can determine how the terrain can mask sound, uh, what altitude you would have to fly at, uh, at what speed, and with what wind direction uh, in order to arrive at the target completely undetected. So the technology exists, but for the most part, law enforcement within the U.S. doesn't use it and probably isn't even aware of it for the most part. Another big factor for rotary wing aircraft is flight time. Uh, helicopters in general have far less flight time than their fixed wing counterparts. Uh, this is mostly due to fuel consumption, uh, which varies with altitude, speed, uh, allowable cargo load or ACL, uh, weather, and a variety of other factors. Uh, as such, to maintain persistent surveillance over a target, such as an all-day long protest, uh, you will have to have multiple helicopters that can yo-yo or swap out with each other while the other aircraft refuels. Rotary wing aircraft are also greatly affected by weather. Most police helicopters don't possess the instruments needed or the trained pilots to obtain what we call an IFR rating meaning that they can't fly in fog uh, or low visibility conditions. Uh, a lot more goes into it, like the visibility, the flight level of the clouds, the minimum distance they have to be off the ground in relation to the clouds above them, uh, thunderstorms within a certain mileage or a no-go for takeoff. There, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but the number one defeating factor for helicopters is weather. If the weather is bad, no helicopters. Next up, we have the counterpart to rotary wing aircraft, which is fixed wing aircraft. Now, only in the past few years have law enforcement used fixed wing aircraft as a surveillance platform, but they are very much used by many jurisdictions today. The pros of fixed wing aircraft inversely mirror helicopters. Uh, they can cover much more area, uh, fly for longer, and carry more sensors and operators. They are also, for the most part, pretty silent and damn near invisible to the layperson if they're flying at the right altitude. Uh, weather is also not nearly as much of a factor for fixed-wing aircraft as rotary wing. Consequently, the cons of such aircraft are also inversely similar to helicopters. They can't fly that low, which is an issue for sensors that I'll explain later, 
they can't follow individual people in a heavily urbanized area with any accuracy and are usually much more expensive for a locality to maintain, thus not being as common as police helicopters. Next up, we have the ever-feared drone, or unmanned aerial system, UAS for short. There are quite a few different kinds of UASs out there, so here are a few of them, starting with the largest going to the smallest. First off, the MQ-1 Predator. Uh, yes, you heard that right. Law enforcement in the U.S. routinely use Predator drones for surveillance over U.S. soil. Granted, it is the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency that is using them, but in a widely publicized case in North Dakota, of all places, a man was convicted using evidence obtained by the local police department from a Predator drone that was on loan from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Uh, if you're looking for, to get more information on this, just uh, Google the arrest of Rodney Brossart, uh, B-R-O-S-S-A-R-T. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but, you know, obviously Predator drones and other high-flying UASs have been almost immortalized uh, as invincible tools of war. And while not quite accurate, uh, the myths surrounding these high-flying drones are grounded in a bit of truth. They are a great force multiplier for war and surveillance in general. For one, the MQ-1, or any other similar UAS, is invisible. It flies at a flight level of over 30,000 feet, and you can't see it at all. Uh, or I should say that it's rare to see one flying. Uh, even if you know the exact direction and location uh, where, of where it is in the sky, it's really hard to see. Um, at night, you might be able to pick out the infrared beacon uh, strobe with good uh, Gen 3 night vision devices, but that's about as close as you're going to get to seeing a predator in the sky. So, how do you defeat this platform? Um, well, there are many ways to defeat the sensors, uh, which we'll talk about in the next episode, but for the platform itself, it suffers from much the same problems as other fixed-wing assets, with one extra downfall. Some of the big benefits of these high-flying platforms is in fact their altitude, far out of reach of observation, uh, but that's also their downfall. Uh, the number one defeating entity for these platforms is weather, specifically clouds. Uh, since most predators can't actually fly below a certain altitude, mostly due to fuel efficiency issues, the sensors on board are especially vulnerable to cloud ceilings, otherwise known as an overcast sky. Uh, believe it or not, no matter where you are in the world, if the sky is overcast, you can't be seen by a high-flying drone at least with a camera. There are other far more expensive and rare systems that can see through clouds, such as uh, ground-moving target indicator or GMTI systems, but for the most part, local law enforcement entities don't even have access to these. So remember, uh, especially if you're within 100 miles of the U.S. border, uh, where Customs and Border Patrol has jurisdiction, which is the only domestic law enforcement entity that has these types of platforms, an overcast sky is your best chance for movement undetected by these platforms. Alright, so moving on to smaller unmanned systems, uh, smaller fixed-wing drones uh, such as the SP-7 and the SP-9, just to name a couple, uh, are used by law enforcement quite often. 
these drones have a wingspan of about 10 feet uh, and function in a role that is between the large fixed wing assets and the smaller drones we'll talk about next. Uh, so these small fixed wing drones are sort of the best of both worlds. Uh, they are light, uh, compact, and are usually hand-launched, which means they don't need an airfield to take off and land. Uh, they also have a decent flight time of a few hours, and in practice can hold an orbit uh, much more lower, uh, lower in altitude than any manned system. Uh, they're also quieter, but still quite audible. Uh, you'll be able to clearly hear one of these from the ground. They're also quite visible in the sky. Uh, you can see them easily during the day and even easier at night with night vision devices. Usually these types of lightweight fixed wings can hold a decently sized payload, but it's usually limited to one or two cameras uh, and a communication suite, which is usually all that's needed. As far as detriments to the platform itself, uh, the biggest downfall of this platform is, again, weather. Uh, most of these types of drones can't fly in the rain as they aren't waterproofed. Uh, they also can't fly even in moderate winds. Uh, in fact, one type of drone, the RQ-7 Shadow, uh, is somewhat unaffectionately known as the lawn dart uh, due to how often it simply flies into the ground like a lawn dart. Uh, granted, the RQ-7 is a somewhat larger system that isn't used by law enforcement yet, uh, but several law enforcement jurisdictions, uh, such as in Florida and I think in California, uh, have attempted to obtain this system in the past. Um, the point is, is that even the military variants of light fixed-wing drones are totally and completely unreliable in bad weather. And finally, moving on down to what has become the most popular form of police UAS, the quadcopter. Uh, thanks in no small part to the civilian development of this technology, pretty much every single moderately sized police and sheriff department in the U.S. has at least one quadcopter. And as we have discovered from the coronavirus outbreak, uh, police departments around the U.S. have no rules and zero accountability for really any unmanned aerial system, but especially these types of drones. Uh, people gawked at the early 2020 footage from China showing the Chinese government using quadcopters to take people's temperatures, track movements, and harass and stalk citizens uh, into going back inside and staying at home. Uh, as we are finding out now, the same thing is happening in the U.S. every single day. But why? Uh, why are these drones the ones we fear the most? Well, for one, they're by far the most common to operate. Uh, also, many police departments such as the Boston PD, uh, NYPD, LAPD, and many, many others have actively lied about owning and concealed the purchase of these quadcopters. Uh, these have been highly sensationalized scandals. You can just easily look them up um, of police departments lying about owning these quadcopters. Also, unlike dash cam and body footage, the public availability of drone footage from these quadcopters is almost never available to the public. To put it bluntly, you have a higher chance at getting U.S. military drone footage declassified than to get drone footage from your local police department. Thus, the popularity of these types of systems among policing agencies. But as widespread as these drones are used, they still have many, many downfalls. 
Uh, for instance, they can't fly that well in the wind. They have a short range, uh, an extremely short flight time, and they also can't carry a large payload at all. Uh, basically, the police drones on the market have the same capabilities as a professional photography drone, um, perhaps with the addition of a FLIR or thermal type system. Uh, so the best way to defeat these types of drones is simply to wait out the flight time. Uh, no quadcopter on the market has a flight time of over 20 minutes with a camera payload. And you can easily hear when a quadcopter goes back to its launch point to swap out batteries. Also, for the most part, uh, quadcopters are usually only equipped with a camera and usually don't have a signals intelligence or SIGINT capability or even a communications capability. So that's it for the aerial systems. Now let's take a short look at other types of systems that are routinely used. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your smile. First up, the surveillance light pole. Um, Although they have been around for years, uh, these types of persistent surveillance platform gained notoriety after many hundreds uh, were observed being destroyed by the Hong Kong protests and riots. Uh, light poles are great surveillance platforms in heavily urbanized areas. Uh, they allow a whole suite of surveillance tools and sensors to be mounted and used. They are also highly covert. Uh, chances are you walk by a surveillance pole every day thinking it's an ordinary light pole. Uh, for instance, one company called Sirchi, uh, S-I-R-C-H-I-E, uh, uh, is known for creating covert cameras that look like power boxes or transformers uh, or post office boxes, anything but covert surveillance systems. Now here's something sensor related that I figured I would mention here because uh, I don't really have any better place for it. Um, but many of these light pole surveillance masks are now equipped with loosely what is called behavioral recognition software. Uh, this software uses the network of light pole cameras to log your movement, uh, determine how long you stand still, or if you start running suddenly. Um, if you do anything uh, on camera that fits an algorithm within the software, you are flagged as being suspicious and followed with, you know, from camera to camera, light pole to light pole automatically. Or an officer is automatically dispatched to intercept and question you. This type of system actually made a big splash during the 2012 Republican National Convention and was so much a concern for civil liberties that software developers fought back uh, by creating apps to track the exact GPS location of these cameras. Um, as one might expect, police departments have zero accountability for these types of systems as well and treat this technology with more secrecy than the military treats classified information. Uh, in other words, your city may very well have these systems and software, but they may be lying about it and actively hiding what they're doing with it. The downsides of these light pole type systems are, of course, the range. Uh, only being from 10 to 20 feet off ground level, uh, surveillance poles can only see so far. Uh, and the electronic surveillance tools installed on these are usually line of sight only. That's why they're usually networked together. 
Uh, if you've got a camera on every light pole or power box, you can surveil every square inch of an entire city all at once. Uh, granted, in no city are cameras this widespread, but it is theoretically possible. And if recent events have taught us anything, it's that if it's even a tiny bit possible, your local PD will be doing it daily in a few years. Uh, up next is sort of the same thing, but more temporary. Uh, police surveillance van camera masts uh, and other temporary camera systems. Uh, much like the light pole setups we usually see at like carnivals and other outdoor events, uh, these surveillance masts are quite obvious once you know what you're looking for. Uh, just Google the term surveillance mast and you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, these systems are usually just cameras, uh, but in recent years have been host to SIGINT collection tools as well. Uh, as such, the pros and cons are essentially that of, you know, the same as surveillance poles, so we, we're not going to rehash that. Just be advised that these are usually set up overnight in the days before a planned protest, so if you do a bit of scouting and IPOE beforehand, uh, you'll be able to locate them as well. Uh, be advised, though, in a recent example, uh, SIGINT data and imagery gathered from these surveillance tools was used to harass and interrogate individuals in the days before the January Richmond protest, uh, so just keep that in mind. Now, before we move on to actual sensors, it must be noted that there are many, many other platforms. Uh, everything from point-blank enterprises, IRIS, covert truck toolbox surveillance system, uh, to forcing protected private entities such as churches, hospitals, and charities to install surveillance tools on their structures is not just being used, um, but systemically being used on a widespread basis. Uh, tools like the Tombstone Cam, a camera suite that is hidden inside an actual tombstone and placed in cemeteries, uh, cameras in baby seats, uh, fake wildlife, trees and rocks, all of these are routinely used not just for individual targeted surveillance or like counter narco missions where it's like a specifically, you know, the surveillance is specific to one area, um, but these are used for mass public surveillance as well of people that have done, you know, committed no crime. So there's no shortage of platforms for various intelligence collection tools, which is why we can't really cover all of them. So with that in mind, we'll take a break and come back with the meat of the matter the most commonly used sensors and how to defeat or deter them legally. 